Obviously, you've come to the Leading Saints podcast because you love podcasts and you love consuming content in this manner, uh, listening to a pre-recorded conversation or interview or presentation. And we get a lot of good stuff here, but nothing compares to an in-person retreat experience. This is one thing I've learned in the last few years that we are infusing into our Leading Saints content is the need for in-person experiences, also known as retreats. So Leading Saints has started putting on retreats, both for men, women. We're going to play around with couples retreats and we'll try it all. But retreats are a transformational experience. And I implore you to go check out leadingsaints.org slash gathering, where we list all of the upcoming retreats. Some are open to register. Others you can get on a waiting list. But we would love to have you at the next in-person retreat. Now, if you can't afford it, if there may be, if you price out of these opportunities, don't worry. We have very generous donors willing to put up money for scholarships. So either go there, check it out, register, or apply for a scholarship. And we'd love to have you the next Gathering Saints retreat put on by Leading Saints. So go to leadingsaints.org slash gathering to check out the upcoming Gathering Saints retreats. Hey, if you're a newbie to Leading Saints, it's important that you know, what is this Leading Saints thing? Well, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through content creation. So we have this phenomenal podcast, we have a newsletter, we have virtual conferences, so much more. And articles on our website, I mean, I could go on and on, right? <laughs> and we encourage you to uh, jump in, check out Leading Saints, uh, go to the search bar at leadingsaints.org and type in some topics and see what pops up. We're just glad you're here to join us. Today, I'm at Thanksgiving Point in Lehigh, Utah with Jeanette Bennett. How yes. are you? I'm so good. Yeah. Glad to be here. This is cool. This is like you're part of the Thanksgiving Point uh, army. Or <laughs> I mean, how, what's your role here? Yeah, it's the newest part of my my little community life here. I'm the chief visionary officer and I'm on the board of trustees. It's it's a part-time little side gig. I also own a publishing company. So, And I've written about Thanksgiving Point a lot. And so yeah. a few months ago, the Ashtons who started and, and founded Thanksgiving Point reached out. And there's a CEO here currently that reached out as well. And, and we figured out a way for me to contribute. So I'm working on envisioning a, a science and tech venue here for the kids. Nice. And now I think most Utahns and maybe a lot of Latter-day Saints, especially in the Western United States, are familiar with Thanksgiving Point. They drive down I-15. I can, hope so, yes. You can see it. But for those who aren't familiar with Thanksgiving Point, how do you describe it? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Salt Lake County and Utah County, right next to each other is the point of the mountain that, that divides them in the past culturally and, and geographically. But I think there's been a melding of these two counties. And Thanksgiving Point is right at the center of that. We're at the center of the population of Utah. And it's a place that has children's venues. We host concerts and tulip festivals and we have restaurants. It's really a destination for families where we help children and and their parents discover the natural world and make memories. Yeah. In a location that's quickly filling with, uh, you know, residential roads and houses and whatnot, it's great open space that kind of lets the valley breathe a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. We have 55 acres of gardens and a beautiful golf course and just lots of flowers and plants and among the venues. There's been a lot of thought put in by a lot of people through a lot of years. So I'm excited to be part of it for this little chapter of my life. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the founder and 
editor of Utah Valley Magazine? Yes. Did so I get in, it right? Yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I'm not too hung up on titles, but in 2000, my husband and I started a magazine publishing company with Utah Valley Magazine being our first. And then we've added Utah Valley Bride and Business Q. We do a lot of parade of homes and Chamber of Commerce magazines and network marketing magazines. So we put a lot of words on, on glossy pages. Mm-hmm. So it's been 23 years of that. And along the way, different doors have opened to sit on different boards and committees and and to chair different things and serve in different capacities. And that's actually what led to this Thanksgiving point thing as well. So the magazine publishing company is my main livelihood. And my husband and I own that. It's a small company. We're based in Orem and we have about 12 employees and produce about 30 magazines a year. Now, this is an interesting principle and dynamic because we, we focus a lot on, like on developing community, you know, and, and there's some level of dynamic for a ward to even do that. Oh, like, absolutely. Right. And so mm-hmm. I mean, what was, is there a story early on as far as what the mission was, or did you find that there was a gaping hole that you needed to fill or what does that mean? So my husband and I are from Idaho and we came to BYU. So we became Utahns when we, when we were at college Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we didn't see a magazine here in Utah County. We saw that Salt Lake County had TV stations and multiple newspapers and a lot going on in Utah County, which is really in a lot of ways, the heart of the church. It's where the MTC is and a higher percentage of, of members of the church than, than Salt Lake County or, or mm-hmm. other places in the world. And it didn't have a magazine. We're like, there's a lot to write about. Here. There's a lot of amazing people that don't have this, this venue where they could tell their stories and, and all of that. And so as a young couple, we sold our house. We had two kids, oh, wow. two babies and sold our home, moved into an apartment and used that equity. We had a little bit of equity because we had put in sweat equity to build that home. And that's what we did to print the first issue in 2000. I had all the hope in the world and all the dreams. And I mean, it, it, it did work over time, but I should have been more nervous than <laughs> I was. But I was 25 and, you know, we could live on very little. We hadn't really been very too far out of our college budget by that point. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we just knew we could just really scrimp and save and make this work. And I also feel like it was what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were just cool things that happened where like we put up our, our home for sale. It sold the first day. There were just things where I was like, God is always opening these doors. Mm-hmm. We, we felt drawn to this cause. And, and the month we were, we were going to start the magazine and really jump full in, we got asked to, to do every little like steak service project. And can you do this thing? It was, it was like nuts. Every few days we were asked to go do these, these things, volunteer in different capacities. And we just kept saying, yes, we're like, maybe God's trying to figure out if we're asking a lot of help from him. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's seeing if he asks us for a little help, how we respond. And so we really just dove in and said yes to those things. And that has been, I think, a, a big part of who we are and how we've built our company. We still, and please nobody sue us for this, but we still say prayers before our staff meeting. Yeah. We ask, you know, our staff members, especially new ones, you know, how do you feel about this? Because we, that's how we started the company. And then I feel like at this point, if we stop praying, it's us saying we don't need you anymore. Mm. That is so far from the truth. Wow. So we still feel guided by, by heaven and that this was what we were supposed to do. And I feel like we've contributed to the community and we've highlighted a lot of great people. And I think what gets recognized gets repeated. So I hope that all of the good things that we've written and put out into the world have helped more good and amazing yeah. things happen in the community. Yeah. And there's this, this dynamic of like telling stories of fellow individuals in, in the community that's so powerful. And, and there, I did a, a podcast, I think this is the end of 2021 and I, it's titled why your ward needs a, a podcast. Mm, and I love uh, that. I've done this in other wards where I just sit down with people and like, tell me where are you from? Where'd you grow up? You know, tell me about your faith and, and these things. And there's something about 
hearing each other's story that just creates community oh, and draws people together, that. right? Is mm-hmm. that what you found with through the so magazine? I think so. And communication and community have the same root, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they're related. You have to know each other's stories and communicate uh, to be able to have that community. So I, of course, strongly believe that. Yeah. Is there something about finding the right story that, that, that brings anything to mind or, I mean, everybody's got a story, right? I but. do believe everybody has a story and, and we lean towards the positive, right? I mean, I did work at, at a newspaper for a while in my early career and newspapers of record, they have to cover the crime and mm-hmm. the fires and, and the news of record, but a magazine, which is why I was drawn to it. We get to choose what we focus on and positivity is always the key. So we, uh, everything we do is, is just really positive. We have regular things we do every year. We do high school students who will change the world every May. We pick a student from each high school and highlight them. And to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm picturing all the junior high students reading it going, okay, this is what it takes. This is the attitude that it takes to start high school and really succeed. And, and we have those high schoolers say what their parents regularly say to them that matters. And I'm hoping the parents read that. And, mm-hmm. and then we feature angels among us every year where we highlight people who in small or big ways are angels. They're really making a difference. And so our, what we're always looking for is positivity. So it, we, yeah. we take different angles, every issue. And, you know, throughout the past 23 years, we've done a lot of different things, but everything is like, here's something we can learn from this person. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, and this is off the wall question that you've probably never gotten before, but what, what advice would you give to maybe like the newsletter specialist in a ward or like, or, or somebody who's trying to stimulate community yes. in their ward? Like, where would you begin? I would say make it about people. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing, and, and I've been a ward newsletter person oh, and cool. I've been the bulletin person. <laughs> like, I have to admit that like before I was the ward bulletin editor, and by that, I mean like the Sunday thing that says, these are the announcements, these are the songs, you know, mm-hmm. before that was my calling. I have to admit at times I was like, well, they got that wrong or they left this event in here. That was two weeks ago. They should have deleted that. Then you get that calling and you realize it's hard. It's harder mm-hmm. than you think. <laughs> so I love that about <laughs> us that we get, we get different callings, different opportunities. Make it about people. A lot of word newsletters that I've seen, you know, someone who's supposed to write the letter on the front page or something, they just string together quotes from prophets past and present. And mm-hmm. that's awesome. But like really make it about the people in the ward. You know, I also think having a personality, having some humor, once you do that in an award newsletter, people will read it the next time looking Mm -hmm. for what's funny, (laughs) what's, what's connecting, what can I learn here? Yeah. And sometimes there, there's this temptation of like, uh, let's just put the quote, the scripture, and then a list of like announcements, you know, the chili cook-offs coming up and Hey, we're done. That's, Mm -hmm. but to really personalize it. And I know some wards will focus on like missionaries, like how Elder So-and-So is doing in Argentina Mm -hmm. or whatnot, but to. To say what, where else are the experiences happening uh, in the ward, in the pe- lives of the people. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so if you're going to announce the chili cook-off, say something like, we're coming for you, Brother Miller. You know, <laughs> we're not going to let you get the two, the three-peat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like have a little yeah. bit of fun with it. Yeah. I, I think serving in the church or any leadership thing has to be fun because it's hard. So it also has to be fun. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this, like every organization, even Ward has a personality mm-hmm. and sometimes we want to water that down or, you know, let's just stick to the script and do the sacrament meeting, do the Sunday, but to really allow that personality of the people to come out and define the the Ward and you it, know, make I, it endearing. I really believe that. And when I, when I served as stake and women's president, so I had a bird's eye view of the seven wards in our stake. Mm-hmm. I realized how each ward had a personality and a culture. Mm. And so I became really interested in how did that get formed? And how is this ward that's right next to this other ward? Why is this ward more engaged? They're having more fun. There's more unity. And why does this ward seem to struggle with everything? 
you know? Yeah. And, and so I'm still thinking about that and wondering about it. But one takeaway that I do have is one, one person can affect the culture mm. of a ward. One really fantastic person with or without the official title or calling can create a feeling in a ward that can be contagious for good or for bad, honestly. Oh. But I, but I've seen like really fun people have the ripple effect that affects their whole ward culture. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. We all need to take responsibility for what we bring to the culture, I think. Is, is there a certain way that w- that you could define or articulate how you show up, whether in your ward or just as you, you know, run magazines or walk into Thanksgiving Point or things like that? Like, how do you impact the culture, even maybe without the title? Mm-hmm. I think acknowledging people one by one mm-hmm. is really cool. Knowing people's names, asking them about their kid, remembering their kid's name or their spouse or... I know your dad passed away a year ago. How are you doing this Mm. week? Kind of a thing. I think it really comes down to that. And obviously the savior taught us that too. You know, he was, he was very, he catered to the one, he loved the one. And so we, you know, everything we can learn about the savior is what we need to emulate. And that's really, really important. I think one by one. I also think that my leadership style, I would say is creative. So I like themes. I like ideas. I like colors and brands. So some of the marketing skills that I have for my career, I take to my callings. And, and I think that's part of my leadership style too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. So one, one uh, topic that we discussed a little bit before we hit record is this concept of uh, just being a Latter-day Saint in 2023 mm-hmm. uh, that, and especially, I don't know if it's, uh, I'm sure it's anywhere, but I mean, you're known as somebody, I mean, you're running a magazine, you've got Thanksgiving point duties. I mean, there's a list of other things you're involved with. I think in Utah Valley and you're known as a mover and a shaker. I mean, you, no. well, you're, thank you. <laughs> I mean, in a very positive way. Right. And, but someone may look at you and, and think oh, that must be an exhausting lifestyle just because you're always go, go, go. But I think we all feel that to some yeah. extent that we got the calling, we got mm-hmm. the the job, we got the kids things. And it's a it's lot. sometimes it, it bears down on us and it's hard to breathe and all mm-hmm. that. So what principles come to mind as far as just being a busy Latter-day Saint? Okay. So a couple of things come to mind. People do say that to me a lot. How do you keep your schedule straight? How are you doing all that? And, and the thing is, it is a juggle and I drop as many balls as I juggle <laughs> sometimes, but I am someone who has said yes throughout my life. And I think that's one thing that our church culture teaches us. You know, it, there are definitely times to say no, but our culture is one of like accepting opportunities when we, when we can. And I've taken that to my career as well. And it's served me well. I've opened a lot of doors that way of just being willing to walk through them. And I think that's great. Secondly, I went through a cancer journey uh, three years ago and I'm doing great and, I, and I'm fine. But when you when you have that opportunity to kind of visit your mortality of like, what if this is the beginning of the end for me? Hmm. For me, at least, I found myself just wanting to continue to fill my life with opportunities and experiences and people things that I would remember. And so that's what I do. I, I just, I want to live every day I'm alive, you know? And so there's that. And lastly, I think that I've gained a real testimony that God creates time. I've literally felt wrinkles of time open up for me when I shouldn't have been able to finish this magazine and write this fireside talk and do this other thing and be the mom I want to be. And somehow it works out. And so I think it takes a lot of faith and I'm still working on that and developing that, but to have faith, to say yes to opportunities, knowing that God's going to help you. He knew who you were. Like when I, so I'm a relief study president right now. And, and there was a spiritual journey that led to that for my bishop and for me. 
and and God knows what I what I'm juggling right now, all the different pieces of my family and my career and my health and all of that. And He still called me, so He doesn't expect me to all of a sudden be a completely different person. Mm-hmm. You know, He knows what my life looks like, and still felt that this would be a good time and fit for me. And so I know He's going to walk with me through that and create those pockets of time. So I've developed a lot of a lot of faith and some strategies associated with fitting a lot in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and with that saying yes, because you're right, there's this cultural norm of like you know you're, this is an intentional call, especially in the context of the church and it's an inspired call. So Mm -hmm. we would really appreciate if you said yes. (laughs) I mean, do you ever have to say no? And what is that like? So I have really, really tried to say yes to so many things. And, and honestly, my filter in the past has been, does it fit in my schedule? Mm -hmm. If it does, then yes. But honestly, I've had to, and I am in the process right now of figuring out how to be a little more intentional because when I say yes to something, it's an automatic no to something else. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes I'm not always really taking all that into consideration when I say yes. I just judged Miss Utah a couple weeks ago. That was a five-day thing. It was really, really awesome. But by saying yes to that, I also said no, you know, uh-huh. to being with my family those five days and to, to keeping up with my magazines and all that. So I think that's something that I'm really thinking about. I also had a scripture jump off the page for me last fall in relation to this. And it's John 15 too. And it's about, it's about fruit. And if, if something doesn't bear fruit, then remove it. I should look it up, mm-hmm. read it perfectly. But <laughs> anyway, and then if it does bear fruit, then purge it or prune it. And, and so it can bear more fruit. And that like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like this is a message for you. And so I'm trying to figure out if things don't bear fruit in my life, I need to probably do less of that. Mm-hmm. And if things are bearing fruit, how can I purge or prune them so that they can bear optimal fruit? Yeah. Right? And so at this stage in my life, I need, I need to, and want to be more intentional about what things I add so that I can make sure I'm bearing as much fruit and bearing the right fruit the heavenly father has in mind for me. Yeah. And so as you assess different activities and things you're doing, like what, how do you know if it's bearing fruit or what does that feel like? Is it mm-hmm. impact community? Is it your life just feels more full or? Yeah. I mean, I think the things that I have and will take into consideration is, uh, does this benefit my family? Does this benefit my business? Is this something God wants me to do or mm-hmm. needs me to do? I also had an experience where I, I, I ran for a state Senate office and that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. I told you I have a lot of random little pieces to my life <laughs> and, and I didn't, I didn't win. I came in second of six and it, the experience was amazing. I'm so glad that I ran. And as I was processing that experience after it was over, I had the feeling of that God wanted me to focus on things only I could do. And, and to be honest, political office is not something only I can do. There's a, there's a lot of people who want and can do that. Mm-hmm. And so for me right now, that's not going to be something I'm going to, I'm going to try for again. I took the experience with me and I gained a lot and learned a lot, met a lot of people, which is often what I want to do. I always love meeting new people uh-huh. and learning from them. <laughs> but now I'm focused on what are things only I can do? Well, only I can be the mom to my kids and the wife to my husband. And right now the Relief Society president to my sisters. And, and what are the things only I can do? And that, so that is another gauge that I'm attempting to use (laughs) Uh instead of just saying yes to whatever sounds really fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, where my mind goes is uh, I'm thinking I'll bring my wife into this. Uh, So she, (laughs) so obviously awesome individual dynamic, Mm -hmm. very talented, but she's in this phase of life with little kids. right? Right. And she sees me and you know, the work I do and the impact it has. And I think she either wants to play a role in that, which I'm, Right. would love mm-hmm. or kind of do her own thing. Mm-hmm. And anytime we sort of make that work, it just becomes so overwhelming. And then, you know, the, you just can't guarantee what the kid dynamic is going to do oh, or the absolutely. family. And so mm-hmm. then she sort of has to retreat back and, you know, 
focus on the kids. And then it sort of gets frustrating. Like I can't seem to get anything going or have impact. And so what would you say to those, those moms, with mm-hmm. the, the younger families that uh, they kind of feel like they're just surviving and all they can do is barely get them to Thanksgiving point so they can right. have a good time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a great, um, that's a great question and a great topic. And, and I love to talk to women about, about their lives, young women and, and new moms. That's been one of the things I've loved about owning a company is having these female employees that start and grow with us. And then they're expecting their first child. And we have those conversations of they lead on what they want and think that they're going to do afterwards. And then it's often different than what they think they want to do. (laughs) And I just love kind of walking that road with them because there's no one size fits all. And here's what I think is super cool about being a woman. Because men, I mean, you kind of grow up knowing, hey, I'm expected to serve a mission. I'm expected to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking, should I work this decade or should I not? The answer is, you know, you're going to provide for your family. (laughs) And for women, we, we get to negotiate that. Should we go on a mission? Is that right for me? We get to go to God and really talk and think that out. Mm-hmm. And then throughout a woman's life, she often does that again. Should I have another child? Should I work right now? Should I go back to school? It's not this cookie cutter, you know what your life's going to be from age 20 to 70 working full time. That's often not the case for women. Now, this might sound like a privileged thing to say, because mm-hmm. for some women in the world, they do work every day of their lives. And so I, I don't want to come across as, as a, this is a privileged thing, but it honestly is a privilege if women can and do have those chapters of life where they can talk to God and their spouse and themselves and figure it out. And so no decision is ever really permanent, right? So I've renegotiated this many times. I have five kids. So every time I had a kid, I was, my life was, was going to look different. I was going to stay home more, adjust this or take the baby to the office or, you know, do this, that, the other. And uh, it wasn't just a lifetime. This is what my life will look like. It's that's what this is what this six months is going to look like. And it keeps me close to heaven because I'm always trying to figure it out. What should I do now? How should I prioritize this? Should I? I mean, I often think, should I go get a PhD? I look at it, pray about it. Haven't yet, you know. And and so it's it's this really cool opportunity we have to stay mobile, to stay nimble, and to stay close to heaven. Yeah, and I would imagine that. As your kids age, like in those teenage years, like yeah, you can sort of sneak away for a few hours or, mm-hmm. or take a night off, you know, and go focus on whatever project. I feel like it gets easier as time goes. So that's what I thought. Oh, <laughs> I expected that when the kids got older, it'd be easier. But in some ways it has not. You know, it was actually easier to go on dates when they were littler because mm-hmm. we could have a babysitter, a grandma, someone come over and read them stories and put them to bed and we could come home. But when you have teenagers that are in and out of your house with their friends and and might want you to make them quesadillas. Oh, now we need a ride to the park. Oh, now this or that. And oh, I'm going to need a ride at 1130. It's harder. I think it's, I think both stages of life are super fun, but it is, it's not the easy, uh, easy street that I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Haven't found that yet. So yeah, it's just been different and they need you in different ways. Um, Teenagers need more face-to-face time at night, you know, and I think my kid, my babies, my toddlers need to be more in the morning. So it's just different Mm different rhythms that you, that you get into the conversations matter a lot more when they're teenagers. And so, and it's been awesome right now. I have two married, one on a mission, one who just graduated from high school and I have an 11 year old. So I'm in a lot of different stages right now and every stage is really cool. Yeah. So that, that's really sound advice that don't, don't expect it just to get easier. No, I mean, it sort it of it just shifts the, mm-hmm. the responsibilities. And I think for women who really want to have an influence, you just, just push through it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and just know that it's hard and may not get easier, but, uh, you know, you'll get through it and, and, uh, the, 
and I think your life has felt very, very fulfilled. I mean, a lot of the project you've been involved in. It definitely has, you know, and I'm, I'm around a lot of young moms with kids right now who come out to Thanksgiving Point and I see these moms with strollers and with, you know, the binkies and just the whole little kid environment. And I have this feeling of like, I miss that. Mm-hmm. And did I enjoy it and soak it up enough when I was there? I would pay big money to go back and have one more day with my little kids. Yeah. I'll give you one day with my three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I take it. I'll take it. Uh, because, you know, you kind of think those days will never end and then yeah. they do. And you're like, oh, but they were so cute and they hugged me so tight around my neck and they, you know, said this word funny. And, yeah. you know, those are really, really special days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to this, this, con- this general concept of busy lives and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I, I sound like there are a few principles there. Anything else okay. coming to mind? That yeah. So another that? thing, and that's, uh, we're studying the new Testament this year that, that kind of has stuck out to me. So there, there are obviously multiple miracles and they're, they're amazing. My, my favorite scripture and it's in multiple places, but that God has not ceased to be a God of miracles. God is a God of miracles. And mm-hmm. I believe that, uh, fully, but I also noticed other pieces to the miracles this time. For example, when the water got turned to wine, and they brought out the, you know, they were asked to bring these vases. It was a different word. Yeah, yeah. But to, and to fill them with water. And the fact that they did that, that they had the faith to do, hey, we don't have what we really need. We don't have wine, but we'll do this. You know, we'll fill this with water. That's a miracle that they had enough faith to do that so that the Savior could then perform the miracle. The fishermen who had been fishing, they weren't catching fish. And the Savior says, lower your nets again. And the fact that they did it, expecting like from from every logical thing says, this isn't going to work. I've already tried this. And then they're able to bring in so many fish that they can't even fit it in their boat. And, and, and other times, oh, the loaves and fishes, the fact that, you know, they did not have enough bread and fish for everybody, but that they were like, but here, we'll give you what we have. And then the savior was able to perform the miracle. So in my life, I look at that as like, okay, I don't have enough time. I don't know everything I need to know to do all the things I need to do in my career and in my calling and in my family. But mostly for me, the, the, it's, it's time that I feel like I don't have enough of time and energy. But if I have the faith to say, here's what I do have, here's my little vase of water that seems like it would be so insignificant. Mm-hmm. And to then believe that the Savior can perform that miracle in my life so that then I can, I can do the things he asked me to do. That's the faith that I'm trying to channel right now is what I'm seeing in those miracles in the New Testament. And that's, this is the first year that's ever jumped out to me. That that moment before the miracle where yeah. the people took that action that logically didn't make sense. It didn't seem like there would be enough if all they did was this, which they've tried before, mm-hmm. you know, but this time they tried it with faith and with the Savior's help and miracles happen. So that's that's how I'm trying to approach my yeah. life and my plate, which seems full to overflowing right now. Because, yeah, the temptation is that, you know, I, I probably won't work out anyway, so I just won't give anything. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. But that's where the faith is and that's right. where we grow right? Yeah, exactly. And, and witness the miracle, which is fun. Yeah. So I do things like, for example, if I'm trying to do lots of different things with relating to my publishing and church and all of that, and I'll basically say in my prayers, really specific things like Heavenly Father, I know I have two days worth of work to finish this magazine, but I only have six hours Yeah. because of everything that's going on. And I, I am asking you, to take my six hours and make it worth two days worth of work. That's like a specific real story of the mm-hmm. types of prayers that I've had to pray throughout my life and currently. And and somehow it does all get done. Mm. Maybe not as perfectly and maybe not whatever, but like it works out. And that faith then grows that I can be like, okay, if I keep my feet moving and, you know, say yes to the callings that come or the opportunities to speak at a girl's camp or something that 
that like somehow these other things will get done. Yeah. So. And talk to us about that, the temptation of perfection, right? Because I mm-hmm. imagine running a magazine like, well, you know, if we if we change the background this much, like let's redo the shoot or, I you know, know, like there's this, there's always something to tinker with, right? So how have you learned to just be okay with where the, the finished project? Right. So, so life has forced that upon me because I think I'm a natural perfectionist. Uh-huh. I don't want to start till I know exactly what I'm doing and I don't want to be done <laughs> till it's exactly perfect. But a magazine, you know, you, for our advertisers, for deadlines, we have to turn it in. So if it's due on a Friday, it has to be due. Has to, we have to turn it in. We have to give it to the printer on a Friday. If I had another month, I would take another month because I could brainstorm. I could look at a thesaurus. I could like consider other photos to include. You know, I could just fiddle for weeks on end. <laughs> but that deadline just forces me to be done. I do remember mistakes we've made. When I was working at the Deseret News, I was the editor of the, of the front page this particular day. And a cut line said trail and it should have said trial. Oh, yeah. And of course, once it's in print, it's obvious. But when I was editing it on the screen, I couldn't, I didn't see it. And a spell checker is not going to pick that up. Uh And, you know, that was a horrible day for me. (laughs) A young journalist at the Deseret News getting called into the editor's office. You missed this. Yes, I did. And, you know, we've had mistakes in our magazine that I, of course, regret. Things that didn't get caught or occasionally a story that the last line gets cut off. So, you know, those those things are super hard. (laughs) So I don't want to be a sloppy person. I want our, our magazines and anything I do to have a polish to it. But I have had to give up some of those perfectionistic tendencies. By having five kids and being a business owner and being a member of the church, there is no way to be a perfectionist. There just mm-hmm. really isn't. Kids helped me throw that out the window. The house is never going to be clean, <laughs> really. And uh, things are never, you know, the car is never going to be completely free from wrappers. And, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so... I've learned that getting things done is better than, than it being perfect. And I've just had to, had to force myself to do yeah. that sometimes in 85 or 90%. And, and that goes with, you know, planning a girl's camp and planning this and that, you know, you do what you can and then it's go time. Let's just do it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you say the word uh, sloppy stood out to me because there is this feeling like if it's not perfect, then it's sloppy, but it's mm-hmm. not. I mean, you still avoid the sloppy. Right. But you also know it's not going to be perfect and mm-hmm. you have deadlines and we live in a, you know, a limited mortal existence with, uh, you yeah. know, deadlines and whatnot. So. Yeah. I actually think social media, I mean, it, there's pros and cons to that for sure. But I think that has lowered our perfectionistic mm-hmm. uh, tendencies a bit because we all have typos, you yeah. know, and like on Instagram stories, you can't fix your typo without taking it down. You know, so, <laughs> so we've kind of learned to live with and accept imperfection from people. And I actually really love that. When I started my journalistic career, if I put a recorder in front of someone, it made them nervous. And now we're so used to everything being recorded and nothing being perfect that people can act normal yeah. when something's getting recorded because it's just, it's more commonplace. Yeah. I remember as a kid, just, it was so funny to hear my own voice like, like on a tape recorder and mm-hmm. now everybody's heard their own voice, you know, I know. and it's just the way of life now. Yeah. So, different yeah. world. Any other principles in relation to being a busy Latter-day Saint or do we kind of cover that pretty well? I think, yeah, just jump in with faith, jump in with faith, set your perfectionistic tendencies aside and ask for help. Yeah. You know, people often tell me, oh, you just need to delegate more. And I have a kind of a love hate relationship with that comment because of course that's a leadership principle to delegate. It absolutely is. And I wouldn't say it has come naturally to me my whole life, but I also feel like there are some things as a leader, you cannot delegate coming up with the vision, setting a culture. Those are things you do have to take ownership of. In any setting, you can't just not do anything, you know, and expect that your assistant secretary is going to create a vision for your entity. 
So uh, I don't think delegation is the answer to every busy person's problems. Mm. Okay. This is intriguing. Is there any, uh, anything <laughs> else down that well? Uh, like with, cause that is like the, we throw that around, like, well, the good leader delegates where we're like, what does that even mean? You're like, there's still all this stuff to do. A leader has to identify what the work is that needs to be done mm-hmm. and what the vision is. What are we trying to accomplish here and whose role is it to do that? And that's really hard to delegate. So for example, like when I'm a leader, like right now in my leaf study, for example, I create the agendas. I know that that's technically maybe something a secretary would do, but how is my secretary supposed to know exactly what I feel like the vision and the movement should be forward? Right. So I like to be the one that's like, all right, I feel like we need to do something better for birthdays this year for the Mm -hmm. sisters, you know? So I like to be that one to come up with the vision and this this is the framework. And now I need everybody's help figuring out how we're going to do it and then to actually do it. But the speed of the boss is the speed of the team. That's a a quote that I, that I do believe. And so I think a leader's got to set that pace and set the vision and set the positivity. And also I think a leader needs to praise and thank all the people that work with him or her. Yeah. And, and when you say like casting that vision, oftentimes we think that that's like the five-year plan that the leader is mm-hmm. supposed to do. But <laughs> most of the time it's, no, we're having a meeting. I need to cast the vision for this meeting specifically. Right. Right? What are we trying to accomplish yeah. here? What's yeah. the goal of this hour? Yeah. I think that's essential. Uh-huh. And I think back to the culture that, you know, a ward has a culture, every class and quorum has a culture, every company has a culture. It starts at the top. Now, everyone can affect the culture, and sometimes one really awesome person over in the corner really does affect the culture, but the leader should take responsibility (laughs) and decide what they want the culture to be. Yeah, it makes me think of the word preside that we throw around a lot in our faith tradition, but few, I mean, we we think preside means, oh, that means if somebody says really something crazy, you're supposed to correct it. But in reality, you know, when a bishop resides in a sacrament meeting, he owns how that meeting is being received, how it's going what preparation went to it. And that's the vision of, mm-hmm. of presiding. And mm-hmm. so I think that's what you're getting to is with, you've got to preside as a leader. You can't delegate presiding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You really can't. I mean, we, we just got a new Bishop and he, he already had some travel plans, you know, the first couple of weeks of his, of his tenure. And so we had the first word council without him and the first Sunday uh, sacrament meeting without him. And he was missed, even if he wouldn't have said anything in that sacrament meeting, mm-hmm. like, you know, that presiding officer, there is something to that, that mantle of having them there and observing and supporting and smiling. And, and I'm not casting any shade on my new bishop. I'm just saying like, I, I noticed <laughs> yeah. that presiding role is significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to step into it and own it. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that you've been, you're currently relief site president, but you've been a young women's president yes. and that was probably a, a calling you really enjoyed. What, I so, totally did. To talk to the young women's presence out there. Where, where does the leadership begin there? Yes. And so I, I was a ward young woman president for about four years and then stake young woman for six. So I had a decade of being part of that organization and it went through a lot of change during that time of changing the way that we did goals and, and the girls camp manual, a lot of exciting changes. And then, you know, recently it went from a three hour church to two hour church, which changed the young woman program. You don't meet every Sunday and you know, the, the opportunities and challenges that with that change, you know, helping people get through that. So I think the thing that's exciting about being part of young women is these girls are amazing. I mean, they came to earth amazing. And as leaders, I think we're not there to form them. We're there to like discover them and help them discover themselves and help connect them and to God. And so sometimes as young women leaders, you know, the tendency is to make really, really cool table displays and handouts and decorate the forest when you go to camp. And believe me, I've done all of that. And I think it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not about us in the end, right? Like we, 
we shouldn't be like a mirror saying, you know, look at me, your leader. It, we should be more of a window. And that, that analogy comes from a talk that was in conference. And anyway, so that you're a window, you help the girls see that, oh, you can see through what I'm teaching you and see straight to Christ and connect to him. Mm-hmm. Because auxiliaries, as I understand it, that's an earthly thing. I don't know that in the next life we are going to have young women and relief society committees and stuff. I don't know right. that yeah. this is something for now. Right. And so this is, this is a way to help us at the scaffolding to help us connect to the savior and to our heavenly parents. And so I think that's a really cool opportunity as a young woman leader to do that. And also, you know, the young women are going through a lot right now. They have a lot thrown at them, a lot of distractions, a lot of voices. And so the opportunity to take the girls up in the mountains for camp or for hikes or for other activities and help them disconnect and figure out how to fill the spirit and how to connect to God is such a cool opportunity. Our ward just went up to girls camp and they had this whole bird theme where they would, they were listening to birds and identifying different bird sounds. You know, once you're up there and you're away from your phone, you can hear things that you don't hear down in the valley. (laughs) And then comparing that to the spirit and how the spirit speaks to us in different ways. It can comfort us. It can warn us. It can, you know, guide us. It can help give us answers, bring things to our remembrance. And anyway, like those young women leaders, they will be remembered because every time those girls hear a bird make a sound, they will have this feeling that it connects to the spirit. Hmm. And the leader's names might be forgotten in 40, 50 years, but maybe that bird analogy won't be how to hear the spirit. So it's just, just really cool to be part of those girls' lives. And also I think we need to make it fun. You know, we need to make it feel like living the gospel is really cool. It's not just about memorizing the Old Testament and you get in trouble if you, you know, if you don't do it by Friday or something. But it's like, no, this is a really joyous way to live, to show the to show it by the way that we talk about the gospel and the way we live our lives. It's cool to show the girls that this is this is a fun way to be because, you know, as teenagers, they always want things to be fun. Is it going to be fun? This isn't fun. (laughs) And not everything can be fun. But like, I think overall, the girls should see that their leaders are happy. Yeah. So any uh, hard and fast uh, girls camp tips? Okay. One of the things that I think is really tempting for leaders now is to be like, okay, I need a theme for this young women activity or for girls camp. I'm going to Google it and I'll just copy this other word. And there's lots of great ideas out there, but honestly, I really think every brainstorming session needs to start on your knees Hmm. because you're the only one who knows what your girls, who your girls are and what they need and connect to heaven to figure out what heaven thinks they need. And those answers aren't always going to come in a Google search. Right. And so I think it's important as leaders and also to teach the girls that we should really be getting a lot of ideas by connecting upward, not connecting on our laptops. Hmm. Now we, we had a a stake youth committee and we wanted them to come up with a theme. And and I feel like we inadvertently taught them incorrectly because we said, okay, all of us leaders, we're going to leave and we're going to be back in like five minutes. We want you guys to have a theme. This is a what not to do kind of situation. Because, you know, the boy who was the most outgoing in the room got on his phone and Googled and he's like, okay, let's do a boot camp theme. All right. So we come back in and he's like, okay, we've decided it's going to be a boot camp theme, but only one person had really come up with an idea and and they hadn't prayed about it. It was just something they found. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think as hard as it is, we do need to stop comparing, stop Pinteresting, stop doing all that and talk to heaven first. And I think that's a, a real hard temptation for a lot of youth leaders is to, you know, just kind of copy, copy and paste mm-hmm. what other people are doing because every word's going to be different. Every right. combination of kids is going to be different. We should be tailoring the experience to what they need, not the coolest thing that you yeah. saw on the internet. So I think that's part of it. I also think just communicating, you know, as a leader, when I was a, a ward young woman president, I was young, had young kids, babies, 
And it was overwhelming to me. And especially when I realized, okay, because at first I was just like, this is all about the girls. But then I realized I'm also the leader of the leaders. And I'm also the liaison with parents. And so girls, leaders, parents, all three of those communities needed to hear from me and needed to know from me what was happening, you know, logistically, times, dates, all of that, but also like could feel of like what my vision was. And once I got the leaders on board, then they were on board to get the girls on board and same with the parents. So I think it's important to realize who are your audiences and make sure that you're communicating with all of them. Yeah, that's great advice with, and I think uh, primary presence experienced something, there's something similar where you get hyper-focused on the kids and you mm-hmm. forget there's a bunch of adults in the room too that <laughs> Absolutely. may be dying on the vine, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and so for you to acknowledge them and tap mm-hmm. in and connect and mm-hmm. make sure that they're they're engaged still is important. Right, because right? that's their church experience, right? Yeah. That's what they're getting out of church right now. So. I think that's important. And and obviously, because of my career, I'm going to emphasize communications. I just think it's really, really valuable. But I also think that when people know what's going on, they just automatically have a better attitude about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think the attitude before a Sunday lesson, girls camp, so things big or small, you can set the stage for it by communicating beforehand. Hey, this is what we're going to talk about. Think about this or have everybody bring a picture of grandma or something like that. So that they come a little bit invested to the lesson or to the activity. I think with girls camp, you know, if you're going to have a a theme, like when you have the camp kickoff, those invitations or that room could have a piece of that. There I am back to like, you know, emphasizing decorations, but I actually do think that themes and colors and excitement can add to the overall experience. And then there's an, then that creates an environment where girls can learn and remember. Yeah. Yeah. So any other general young women's leader tips or tricks or. Just enjoy the ride. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you mentioned communication. Are there any like practical apps or you just do group text or emails or how do you stay in communication? Yeah. And that's evolved through the years. Like when I was first called, I mean, this has been almost 20 years ago, I did paper calendars, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would take it to every girl's house and, and they could tape it on their fridge or their mirror. And on the flip side was spotlights on people and challenges and stuff. So calendar on one side, info on the other. And then over time, you know, less paper, more digital. Mm-hmm. I think all the avenues, like right now as a Relief Society president, we use the circles that's on the Gospel Living app. Oh, wow. You actually we, use that. We huh? use that. We actually, we're <laughs> trying to train our people, you know, and we have text and we have uh, Instagram and we have email and we'd put flyers on doors. I did a survey when I got called to Relief Society president and I asked a lot of different questions. And one of them was like, rate the you know, how much do you want a flyer on your door? How much, how, if I put something on circles, what are the chances you'll see it within an hour? If I text, blah, blah, blah. And different people wanted different things. They were right. all over the board. There wasn't consensus. So I'm like, I guess we're doing all of it. Wow. <laughs> and you know, we don't do that for every you know lesson announcement or anything, but for activities, yeah, we hit all the channels. People get so much noise right now. They get so many things hitting on them that, that if we can, if we want people to show up to a relief society activity, we can't just tell them once. Yeah. Like it has to be multiple times. Yeah. It seemed like email was a, a sure bet for a while. And then even texting was a sure bet. And now texting is almost just crazy, you know? I know. And so, yeah, you gotta have to hit all the avenues there. So I'm curious, you put out a survey. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more yeah. about that. Like what, what gave you that idea? <laughs> yeah, how did so that I, go? I think it's just cause I've done that with uh, magazine stuff. So I just decided to send out a Google form to all my Relief Society sisters. New to this calling, trying to figure this out. For example, the activities, you know, the, the handbook, which is amazing, but it does leave a lot of things vague, right? Like how many activities to have and all of that. So I asked all about that. Do you want an activity once a month, blah, 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 quarterly, 
four times, whatever. And it was all over the board. I had people that said, I don't want any activities. And I had people who wanted 12 a year. So it ended up that part not being super helpful other than realizing we do have different needs in mm-hmm. the ward and we need to meet them. I also asked like for any music skills, like, can you lead the music? Can you play the piano? So I just knew who to draw from interest. So if we were going to hold classes, would you be interested in cooking, baking this or that? Um, I asked about ministering, you know, how, just several questions on ministering. And that was actually really, I wanted at the end for it to be like, oh, well, there's a clear outcome here. And that actually wasn't the case. It did help me realize we have a lot of different viewpoints right now on Relief Society. Hmm. Some people are loving it. They want to come to everything. And other people are like, I feel really disconnected and I don't care to be connected. Mm -hmm. And so it was not a one size fits all thing, which all came back to like the ministering program is brilliant. I mean, I've been a mediocre minister at times in my life for sure, but that doesn't (laughs) mean the program is, is flawed. (laughs) I'm the one that's flawed, but we need tailored connection, you know, and really dialed in ministers can do that. They can know if their sister is introverted and she's not going to want to come to this particular activity, but you could take her to the flyer later. You could send her the recipe or, you know, know this sister isn't going to go to the steak relief society thing unless you pick her up, unless you kind of, you know, make sure she feels invited and promise her a milkshake after or whatever, you know, (laughs) and that's really brilliant because as a relief study president, I can't meet all 125 sisters needs every day. You know, I mean, there have been times when I've been on a walk or been driving to work and I've prayed or thought through every woman in the ward. And I am so invested and in love with these amazing ladies that I want to just run door to door and just hug them all. But I, I honestly can't, you know, in that moment. So then it comes down to the ministers and you really realize I, I want everyone to sit in this seat at some point in their lives because you realize, oh, the ministers matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes when you, you haven't sat in the seat, you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It does. It does, because these women really need that connection. And um, so anyway, my testimony of that has has grown. And so that Google form, back to the Google form, it just helped me start my presidency with like, it, look, it looks like here's some of the interests and needs and concerns. And here's what some of the people said about how they feel about our lessons and, you know, how they feel about our Relief Society overall. Our ward has three geographic pieces to it. And so it's, you know, it, there's a little bit of a strike against us of unity just because we're, we're in three neighborhoods. And uh, so we knew unity was going to be a challenge. And so we've worked on that from different um, angles. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that way, I think to be a leader, you have to have some information about the people that you lead. Yeah. And I think it's just uh, what a great time, you know, at the beginning of maybe a transition to sort of take the pulse of the group. And mm-hmm. I, sometimes I don't want to, this is too strong, but there was sometimes there's this ego in church and attendance where it's like, Hey, you know, you're supposed to be here. You're going to come to release society. You're going to like it. You know, mm-hmm. like you're going to comment and you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, let's step back and say, what do you like? What do you not like? Mm-hmm. You know, what should we keep doing? What should we stop? Or, you know, just getting that pulse really is valuable for you to take the next step as a leader. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I try and add that when we do the ministering interviews, which the handbook says to do quarterly, which is a lot, mm-hmm. actually, it's mm-hmm. a pretty big undertaking. But one of the things that I like to ask is what, what are your takes? Well, since we have a new bishop and he was asking me for feedback on, well, you know, what does the ward need? What are some of your thoughts? I put that on our last ministering interview questions. It's like, what are your thoughts for the ward in general? Mm. You know, things that you think are going well or things that you'd like to see more or less of so that I could pass that along to the bishop, you know? Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Sometimes women don't feel heard. All the time. And I want them to feel heard, but to be heard, you have to say something. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anything else come to mind as far as, as you review that data 
and you find that there's a group that are just more disengaged or mm-hmm. they sort of want some space between them and the church or, you know, how do you in, engage or connect with those individuals? Anything come to mind? Right. So I think it comes down to tailoring. So some people in, I think in Utah and maybe in many parts of the world, family is their support system, yeah. you know, more than, more than the church. And so some of the women in our ward who don't really feel a need for activities, it's because they have a lot going on with their family, their extended family, and that's filling the need for them. That's great. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to feel shamed. Like, no, you have to fit in this particular bucket and you have to come and, or else we don't consider you act, active unless uh-huh. you're at the Relief Society cooking lesson, you know, because <laughs> that's just not going to meet everyone's needs. And so just trying to accept them for where they are. And then there are people who are distancing themselves for faith reasons or for health reasons or other reasons. And I think just suspending all judgment as to why people are doing what they're doing and just, and just love them. And I think for service and ministering to be done right, it can't just be looking like you care. And this is what I feel like the, the old visiting home teaching things sometimes tended to be is like on the 31st of the month, I put a cupcake on the porch, check, check, did it. Mm-hmm. That's looking like you care. But ministering, when done right, is actually caring, mm-hmm. you know, and putting a cupcake on someone's door 10 p.m. on the last day of the month, that might not be what they really needed. That's maybe not showing them the care that they need. So I think as leaders, it's like really caring, not just caring for the statistics sake or because you want to enforce your opinion on them. Like you honestly really care. Yeah. 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 But I'm busy, Jen. (laughs) There's a lot to do, right? That goes back to some of those principles. Totally, yeah. yeah. And that's totally fine. You know, our Christmas activity, our release activity, we had a really poor attendance. And, you know, I was sad because we'd put a lot into that. But then it's like, you know what? It's December. (laughs) Like, because someone didn't come doesn't mean A, that they hate me, or B, that they hate the church, (laughs) you know? It's like, I think our, our job as leaders is to prepare and present these opportunities and this scaffolding for ways to ways for people to draw closer to the savior and ways to develop themselves personally and to serve. And that's just not always going to be what people need in that moment. Right. You know? Right. And that's okay. That's okay. I haven't shown up to every, like when there's steak volleyball nights on Wednesday, I'm not there. Yeah. It's not meeting my needs. Yeah. Yeah. But a steak choir thing I might show up to. So I think it's great that the church has different, different things and we have to be okay with people deciding what works for them and their family. Yeah. And and that's really helpful because I think like uh, in the elders quorum context, sometimes like we have the elders quorum activity, this is for everybody. And then when 15 guys show, it sort of feels like a failure when in reality mm-hmm. it was, there was only 15 who really needed this and right. that's okay. Yeah. Right. And just yeah. reminding yourself, you don't have to sell it out every time. <laughs> exactly. I activity. think it's on us as leaders to make sure people know about it. That's important because mm-hmm. if someone doesn't come because they didn't know about it, that is on us. Yeah. You know, so they need to know about it. They need to feel like they're going to feel loved once they're there. So that's on us, you know, to create a culture of love. But then it's on them to decide whether that meets their needs at that moment or not. And I really think it's okay. And I feel the same way about youth. You know, for when I was taking women's president, we took the girls up, Timpanogos, the 15-year-olds we invited every year to hike Timp with us. That's not for everybody. Right. And if a girl who really hates hiking or has a physical limitation were to come just because it's, you know, it's required to come, that's not really fair to her or the people trying to help her up the mountain. Like we need to be self-aware and allow, allow people in our leadership to make some choices for themselves as well. Anything else about being a Relief Society president, principal, concept, uh, how you've shown up there or how you've led that we need to mention before we wrap up? So one of the interesting things, so when I got called 
I had two thoughts because it, it felt a little bit like, really? Wow. My husband's in the bishopric and like, you know, anyway, I was like, really? Okay, here we go. And I had two thoughts that I think maybe this is how I should start. One of them was to help people document, help the women document their spiritual experiences. Oh, cool. Because that's something that I you know, care a lot about is documenting, communicating, telling your own stories. So we gave journals for Christmas with the scripture, Alma 2910. I remember what the Lord has done for me. We encouraged the women to write down the times they felt God's hand in their lives. And then this year at Christmas, we're going to compile some of those journal entries that they choose to share with us in a little booklet. And instead of giving out a word cookbook, like our moms and grandmas had, this will be like a word <laughs> testimony oh, cool. kind of thing. So I'm excited about that and felt like that was maybe something I was supposed to do. The other thing was completely random and it was, <laughs> and I'm laughing even to say it, but to get a golf cart. <laughs> so I bought this oh pink little golf cart and I've decked it out with like, stickers on it that say charity never walketh and powered by spiritual momentum, Jesus take the wheel, heels on wheels. And I use that to drive around and visit people and let, you know, other people, Hey, hop on where let's go. The lady you minister, it's her birthday today. Let's go do a quick visit. And it's just been like a funny, disarming, silly kind of thing. That's been a, it's helped me connect to people. If I pull up on the sidewalk in a goofy little pink golf cart with the disco ball, People are going to smile and talk to me. What is going on here? <laughs> nice. And it has enabled me to meet some of the people that were more more challenging to get to know. Nice. And so I think sometimes God helps us do some out of the box things and lets us bring our creativity. And that's great. You know, I think that's great. I don't think that, I think the ten temptation sometimes when we get called is to be like, oh no, the person I'm replacing is amazing. and I've got to be just like her mm -hmm. or him. And yet God called us knowing who we are, didn't expect us to change everything about ourselves the minute we got the calling, you know? And so to bring whatever skills, personality, humor, or whatever to it, I think is part of it. Bring your whole self. Yeah. You know, we may need a picture of this golf cart. I'm okay, just saying. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love, uh, I, and I realize this a little more Utah centric, but I remember being Bishop, just the power of taking my little girl on a walk around the neighborhood and you just run into people yep. and you connect for a minute and you move on. And, yep. but that minute was so valuable for everybody involved. Right. Know? So and that, that's true. Like keep your feet moving. Yeah. Keep your feet moving. Things, good things happen. Awesome. Any other point, principle, concept, anything we. Let's just like live the gospel with joy. That's how yeah. I feel. Yeah. I let's, love it. let's have fun. Love it. <laughs> awesome. So if people do want to know, I, I mean, uh, Utah Valley Magazine or, mm -hmm. I mean, where would you send them if they want to know more, more about the projects you're involved with? Yeah. So you could on social media or, or, you know, on Google, just look for Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q, Utah Valley Bride. We have those, those three brands that we're really proud of. And we do other publishing too, under the name Bennett Communications. Nice. Love it. Is there like creating a resource like that in Utah County that's so saturated with members of the church? Mm -hmm. Is it hard to not make it a church magazine? <laughs> you know, that's interesting because we're not the ensign, hardly Ahona. You know, right. we're, we're not. Or even LDS Living. No, right? Exactly. But my philosophy has been, we will be as LDS as the people that we write about. So often when I've interviewed people, they've talked about their spiritual journey mm -hmm. and things that are meaningful to them. They'll have a scripture on the wall that ends up coming into the interview or whatever. And so I've tried to include that because that's who these people are, right? When I did a cover story on Gladys Knight, she was pretty new to the church at that point, And she was on fire with her testimony. She wanted to talk all about that. And at some point towards the end, I was like, all right, so let's talk about something else because, you know, I can't just have this be fully your testimony. But anyway, it's been fun for me to do that. And I have also tried to include and not just tried, but I think succeeded 
and having other religions in there as well. Other people of faith, anyone who has a set of values and lives it, I applaud and want to tell their story. I think it's awesome. But that, yeah. So we, we do write about the church because we write about church members, but our, our purpose is, is not to convert people, but just to celebrate all the good, good people and good things happening. Awesome. All right. Last question I have for you is as you reflect back on your time as a leader, both in the church and in the community, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Hmm. Yes. Oh, that's good because Christ is the ultimate leader. And I find that I have turned to him because, because I think I'm a natural introvert and I, because I'm a journalist, I like to hear other people talk more than myself talk. I think becoming a leader is something I've really had to try to figure out how to do that. And so it's sent me to the scriptures and it's sent me to my knees and it's helped me realize that if I'm humble, if I'm willing to take the lead of my leaders here on, on earth and also my heavenly leaders, that they will make more of me than I was before. And so it's given me a lot of faith and a lot of trust. And I can't wait to meet the Savior again someday and interview him. Won't that be great oh, if, yeah. you, if you and I could hold a podcast with, <laughs> with the three Nephites first? Yes, <laughs> yeah, that will be a good one. Anyway, I think being a leader just sends you to your knees. And then all of a sudden you're a follower and you know that you don't know everything. There's no way you know everything or could do everything. And so you need the help of, of the Savior. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts and maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about. The friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts. Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to leadingsaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page or reach out to us at leadingsaints.org slash contact. Remember, we'd love to have you at our next in-person retreat. Go check out the different options and locations where we're having these at leadingsaints.org slash gathering. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.